Okay, this morning I recognize that we have a uniquely challenging passage for some of us today. Again, today we're exploring Jesus' conversation about divorce. And for some of us, this brings back a whole lot of intense feelings about your own personal experience of divorce or the divorce of your parents or someone in your family uh, as you navigate these things through. And again, today if this is really intense for you, uh, again, I fully appreciate that and just take the space you need even just to be still in the presence of God if you feel like it just feels a bit overwhelming as we go through the course of the morning. I'm so grateful today, like navigating a passage like this, I just feel so profoundly grateful for Jesus and for the presence of his spirit. I just love the fact that as we gather together today and navigate some hard conversations around these things, that the presence of God is here with us, that he can illuminate the truth and shine it into our hearts in a way that nobody else can, that he can bring peace and redemption and healing into our souls in a way that nobody else can. We have this really good gift to just partner with Jesus this morning in the work that he wants to do in and through us around a very difficult topic for us to navigate together, but he's just here, and it's just really good. And so let's pray together and offer this time to him. Jesus, we thank you that you know each and every person in this room. Jesus, we thank you that you are good and lovely, you are holy, and you are compassionate. And that whatever history every one of us brings into this room, that your presence has gone with us, and you are here now in these moments. As we offer this time to you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to breathe fresh and new life into the deep and wounded places of our souls. We ask you to challenge us where we need it, to comfort us where we need it, to lead us forward through into the goodness of your presence and your life today. And again, in Jesus' name, we silence and push back every spirit of condemnation or fear or confusion or distance or distrust or disconnection. We break these things off in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak freely and clearly to each one of us, that we would hear from you, and that we hear from you alone. We offer this time into your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, we're in a series walking through the Gospel of Mark, exploring the life of Jesus. It's just been a really great gift so far to get to know him so much more as we navigate this through. Last week, we talked about the passage where the children are being brought to Jesus, and we talked through this process that we need to be very careful that we remove whatever might be hindering the children in our lives from being able to see Jesus and to know him and to walk carefully with him, and also that God is calling us to position our hearts in such a way that we are open to receive the kingdom of God like a child, not trying to earn it, but with a free kind of delight and easy passion, a deep anticipation for the goodness of the gifts that God is giving to us. And this is how he invites us to receive the wonder of his kingdom. And so today we're going to jump back a few verses. The beginning of Mark chapter 10 will be Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, uh, is where we'll be today. And so if you have a Bible app or a Bible with you, feel free to pull those out. And if you don't, there's no pressure. I'll be reading it for us as well. So there's a, you'll get the passage one way or the other. Then Jesus left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So again, Jesus has been traveling, and he's been preaching, and he comes again into the region of Judea. A group of people gather around him, and as he always does, he's teaching them and instructing them about the things of the kingdom of God. And then a group of Pharisees come, and they want to test Jesus. Another translation might be they want to trap Jesus. And so trying to push him into an awkward corner, and so they ask him this question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus knows the intentions of their heart, and so he says to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And now when the Pharisees are referring to this particular passage, they're referring to the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 24. The beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 24 reads, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Again, this passage when Moses wrote it was intended to provide some clarity and some limitation on the idea of what divorce could possibly look like. But by the time of Jesus, this had been expanded and this had been reworked into all kinds of different things. And there were two particular different schools of thought in Jewish custom on this passage. Again, some rabbis would teach that you could only divorce your wife if there was something indecent in the sense that she was unfaithful to you. But there were other rabbis that had begun to teach the idea that a man could divorce his wife if for any reason he found that she was indecent, if there was any way that he wasn't pleased with her, if there was any way that she embarrassed him there was any way that she made him look less in the eyes of the community around him. And so by this point in time, there's this growing sense of feeling that a man can divorce his wife for any and every reason. And in some of the other Gospels, this is what the, the question they actually ask is, can a man divorce his wife for any and every reason? Men were divorcing their wives because they didn't like their cooking, or because they no longer found them pleasing, or because in some way they embarrassed them or minimized their standing in the community around them. And marriage had become this flimsy thing, this thing where a man would simply decide, I'm not really pleased with her anymore, let's just move on. And he would write it on a piece of paper, he would hand it to her, he would send her off, and she would return home to her father's house or her brother's house if her father had passed on, and she would need to try and rebuild some kind of a life from that particular space. Again, it's clearly a recognition that the women were in tremendous fear. Could you imagine living in a relationship where if one partner found you displeasing in some form, they could simply dismiss you. That'd be really scary to live in that kind of an environment every day. And Jesus will have none of it. And so Jesus returns them back to the original intent of marriage in the creation account, and he says to them, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And Jesus begins this conversation with them by explaining, Moses' intention in this passage was because your hearts were hard. Because of the brokenness in the world, he gave you this option to end the relationship. But this is not as God intended. In the very beginning of creation, God created humanity in his image, male and female. He created them both uniquely in the image of God. It was never God's intent that one partner would hold dominance and superiority over the other in an unhealthy or an unholy kind of a way. 
Because both husband and wife are uniquely created in the image of God. And so they have inherent value and inherent worth and inherent dignity. And he reminds them that God created their marriage to be this place of a beautiful kind of holy oneness where two people come together and find a connection and an intimacy that will carry them through the full journey of their life. Can we recognize in the context of marriage, there is a physical intimacy that takes place where each person gives themselves wholly to the other, where we are seen and known exactly as we are, not hiding anything from one another. And in this physical union, there's a, a uniting, a connection that takes place. There's also this deep emotional interaction as you live with someone day in and day out, every single day, as this person who will love you and bless you and care for you and walk through all the highs and the lows and all the in-between and every day of life. It creates this beautiful emotional oneness. There's an economic oneness and a social oneness. There's this beautiful multifaceted reality where God is bringing together two people in the closest possible human relationship to find a life-giving kind of oneness. And we see this expressed throughout the scriptures. For example, if you want a really good race to read, the Song of Solomon is probably about as far as you can possibly go. It expresses this beautiful picture of what it looks like for a man and a woman to live together in this beautiful reality of a physical oneness in marriage where they delight in one another. And they delight in the gift that someone delights in them. Where there is freedom and joy and passion and peace and goodness and just a, a, an abundance of life in this union that God creates. And the Apostle Paul would remind us that marriage is meant to be this living, ongoing parable of the love that exists between Jesus and his church. Where a husband gives himself so freely and so wholly to his wife for her betterment and for her fulfillment that he reflects the nature of Jesus in the way that Jesus gave himself up for the church. So that she is made more whole and more holy and more complete and delighted in and celebrated beautifully in the context of this marriage. And where a wife loves her husband with a way that honors him and delights in him, that shapes and forms him to be everything that Jesus intended for him to be as well. There's this beautiful kind of connection, this holy kind of oneness that proclaims boldly and powerfully to the world around a married couple that God is glorious and strong and that this is what love really looks like. And I think this is such an important message for our world and for our time because we are a world that is starved for profound love. And Jesus' intention for marriage is that in marriage, the world around us would get to witness what it looks like that God loves his people in the way that a couple walks through all of life together, being formed and fashioned and shaped. You know that really good gift of living life with someone who's out for your good and not for their own? The really beautiful gift of walking through every day with someone who becomes a tangible expression of the love of Jesus to you of the forgiveness of Jesus to you, of the challenge of Jesus to you, this beautiful gift of someone who will never leave you or forsake you, even when you're foolish and even when you struggle, this is Jesus' intention for marriage, that it would be whole and holy and beautiful and a signpost for all of the world around us to experience the wonder and the goodness of God. In marriage, God is meant to be glorified and we are meant to thrive in its fullness. And so Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees, this isn't just about the legal reality of divorce. This is about the context and the quality of marriage, about the beautiful picture of what God intends that marriage ought to look like. 
And again, sometimes as we look at passages like this, there gets this uh, distorted perspective that we think as long as we don't legally divorce, everything is fine. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is reminding us that we need to be pursuing wholeness and fullness and abundance in the context of our marriages. It's not simply about staying married or divorcing. Jesus is profoundly concerned about the sins that dwell within our hearts and our lives that are damaging our capacity to love our spouse in the way that Jesus intends that we would love them. And he's challenging us to be ruthless in the way that we deal with those parts of ourselves that are hindering us from living into the beauty and the wonder and the fullness of all of this. Because Jesus wants that good gift for you and for your spouse or your future spouse of being able to know and taste and see the goodness of his love for them through the way that you love one another. And so what kinds of things might be hindering you from being able to live into the fullness of this kind of relationship in marriage? Again, maybe it's secrets. Maybe it's a brokenness within our souls that makes it difficult for us to be able to share ourselves honestly with one another. Maybe it's the belief that as a man or as a woman, we shouldn't really be free or open to connect, that we should hold parts of ourselves back. Maybe it's our selfishness or our pride. Maybe it's our woundedness. And Jesus would call us to be the kind of people who deal with these things so that we can reflect this beautiful oneness that God has always intended that we would walk out in the context of our marriages. We recognize that for all of us, we are broken and fallen people, and we will never get this perfectly right. But this is the direction that we are called to move forward into. And again, if you're here, and if you're a single person, and you hope someday to be married, I would encourage you, use the gift of this time to deal with the things that you know are broken or wounded within your soul. Use the gift of this time to continue to form and fashion yourself, to be the person that Jesus intends you to be, so that if someday he calls you into the journey of marriage, you can embrace this freely and enjoy it with an open sense of delight and be increasingly shaped to who he wants you to be. Because this is Jesus' view of what marriage ought to be, where a man and a woman come together and experience this life-giving kind of oneness that lasts for an entirety of a lifetime. And the disciples recognize by Jesus' comments in this passage that Jesus is not having the current cultural view that a man can simply write a piece of paper and send his wife away. And so we read, When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Again, Jesus is very clear that his intention is that marriage would last for a lifetime. And he recognized that in the context of divorce, there is a ripping, there is a separating that takes place in that process. Again, everyone that I've known in my life who's been through the journey of divorce has expressed it in this kind of terms. There is a ripping. There's a painful separation that takes place because there has been this kind of oneness. And in the journey of divorce, it's this painful way of separating your emotional self and your physical self and your financial self. It's this painful process of letting go of the dream that you hoped would be and kind of tearing one another apart from each other. And there's a painful reality to this. And so Jesus is expressing that we should not take this journey lightly. If a man simply flippantly in this passage writes a piece of paper divorcing his wife and sends her off, he does not do rightly by her. And Jesus says that if he goes off and marries someone else, he commits adultery against his wife. He hasn't dealt rightly with her. 
And likewise, if a woman divorces her husband flippantly and just moves off into the next relationship, she is committing adultery against her former husband. Again, this is Jesus' general rule, that marriage is meant to be this ongoing movement of commitment where we show the perseverance of God in the way that we choose to love and to bless and to care for one another. But how do we deal with this in the midst of an intense and a fallen world? How do we navigate this in the midst of the brokenness that we so often feel? In Matthew chapter 5, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a further perspective of his view on divorce. He says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, Jesus is consistent that this is God's very best moving forward. You can't simply write someone a certificate of divorce and move on. But he also shows us that there are situations in which it is possible to break a marriage. This phrase, except for sexual immorality, is sometimes also translated marital unfaithfulness. And the Greek word behind this is the word porneia, from which we get our English word pornography. And Jesus is expressing that there are times where the covenant of marriage is broken, that there are spaces where a partner will fail to fulfill the covenant and the commitment that they made. Again, because it's not simply about the legal reality of the conversation, it is about the quality of the marriage and how these things are playing out. And Jesus says it is possible for a marriage to break. Again, the obvious situation is when one partner is physically unfaithful to another one, but this isn't all that Jesus has in mind. Because we see that the Apostle Paul describes that if an unbelieving spouse, spouse chooses to ab abandon a believing one, that the believing spouse is free to move on. And he reminds us that there are spaces where someone within a marital context will break this covenant. And when this covenant breaks, the person is free to move on in a particular way. Again, I think it's important as we navigate this conversation that we also consider how we navigate carefully and well situations where there is abuse within a marriage. Again, often passages like this and other passages throughout Scripture have been misused to tell someone that they must stay with an abusive partner. But abuse is absolutely a violation of the intent and the covenant of marriage. And whether the abuse is physical or emotional or sexual or financial or spiritual or whatever form it may take, it is a violation of God's very best intention for what marriage has been created to become. In this context, God intends again that a husband and wife would be together in a way that blesses one another and builds them up and forms and shapes them to be all that God has intended them to be. Again, take, for example, a particular situation where a husband chooses, instead of blessing and giving himself up for his wife as Jesus gives himself up for the church, if he takes his power and twists it and distorts it and uses it to dominate and hold control over his wife, this is an absolute violation. It's a violation for us to use the power and the dignity and the strength that God has given us to push a form of superiority over one another, particularly within the context of marriage. And in these contexts, it is vital and important that safety be brought into the conversation. So that the spouse who is abusive has space to recognize the wrong and ideally move towards repentance and to healing. And the spouse who has been victimized has space to heal and to make the decisions that they would like to make about the future of the marriage outside of a controlling environment. And it's vital that we as the community of faith continue to stand with people and help them to navigate well the hard and difficult decisions 
as they work through this particular kind of reality. Again, the scriptures teach us that God's very best intention for marriage is always that it will last a lifetime, where each partner flourishes and thrives in the wonder and goodness of this gift that God is giving them of someone to journey through life with. And Jesus also reminds us that there are spaces where the covenant breaks. Because tragically, unhealthy things and sin come into the relationship in such a form that the covenant is deeply violated moving forward. And I also want us to address for a minute the idea of redemption. Because we know that God is holy and he is perfect and he is steadfast and he calls us to be holy in all that we do and all that we think and all that we say. And God is a God of redemption who takes the wounded and the broken and the shattered parts of our lives and reforms and fashions and shapes them into something beautiful that will bring life and healing and fullness. And so for those who have journeyed through a divorce or are journeying through a divorce, there is always redemption in the presence of Jesus. Again, every person in my life who has journeyed through an experience of divorce says one of the hardest parts of that journey is wrestling through the feelings of failure. This wasn't what they hoped for. This wasn't what they wanted. And how do they work through the sense of failure? Again, I think we work through the sense of failure the same way we work through all of our senses of failure. We bring them faithfully and honestly and openly into the presence of Jesus. We say, Jesus, what do you think about this? Jesus, what do you want to do with this? Because only Jesus is wise enough to help us to process these things well. And sometimes he will show us that parts of what we are feeling are an unhealthy level of condemnation that we simply need to set aside. And in his grace and his mercy, he will also show us which parts of the failure of the marriage we personally are responsible for. And whether that's 5% or 95% of the failure of the marriage, we take those things, we bring them into the presence of Jesus, we ask for his forgiveness, and we seek to move on in a healthy and in a holy way. A number of years ago, I was preaching a sermon on marriage in a room that was fairly small. It was about 60 people in it, and I realized at the beginning of the sermon that there was a couple who had just finalized their divorce sitting in the room on opposite sides of the room as I'm about to preach on marriage. And I was like, okay, let's take a deep breath, and let's go for it. And it was an interesting thing to watch. As the service ended, I watched as the husband stood up, the former husband stood up and walked over to his ex-wife, and they explained to me afterwards. He walked over to her, and he just said, I am sorry. I am sorry that I wasn't the husband that I should have been. I am sorry for the ways that I damaged you in the context of our marriage. I am sorry that I wasn't what God intended for me to be. And again, it didn't reconcile the two of them back into marriage, but it brought a level of restoration. It allowed the former husband to heal and to move on, owning his part and being able to recognize the change that needed to take place within his own soul. And it helped the former wife to receive an element of healing as he was able to own his part for the breakdown and the reality of what had taken place in the context of their marriage. And again, we simply bring the brokenness into the presence of God. We ask for his forgiveness, we ask for his healing for whatever parts we recognize that we are responsible for in the light of his goodness and the light of his grace. And we also need to faithfully navigate how we deal with the places that we are wounded. Again, if you've been wounded in the context of marriage, that's a deep, deep wound. Because we recognize that this was supposed to be the person who would be faithful to us in all of our life. 
This was supposed to be the one who would champion us in our best days and on our worst. We realized that this was supposed to be the one who would be our companion all of the way through. And when we are wounded by this person, it cuts very deeply. And so often again, we need space simply to bring the woundedness of our souls into the presence of God. Whether you've been wounded in the context of a marriage you are still in or a marriage that is no longer taking place, you need healing in these spots. And again, if you have been through a divorce, I am profoundly sorry for the deep wounding of that relationship. I'm sorry that the reality of your marriage was so painful that you felt the need to move towards the end of that relationship with all the hardship and the pain involved in that separation because it was just so deeply wounding. Again, maybe you need good space to process those wounds in the presence of Jesus. And maybe you can do it on your own and work these things through. Maybe you need someone like, like Rising Above who's really trained at helping us to work through things like inner healing. Maybe you want to talk to somebody on our prayer team. Maybe you have a good friend just to navigate these things through with you. Because nobody can heal like Jesus can heal. And nobody else can bring restoration to those kinds of places in our souls that have been so profoundly wounded by the people that we expected who would love us all of the way through. And then as we seek to move forward, if you've been through an experience of divorce, the process of moving forward can sometimes be challenging. Again, I've known people in my life who've worked through the process of healing and navigating these things and have moved forward into a life of singleness because they believe this is Jesus' very best for them. And he strengthens and meets with them and sustains them. He husbands and wifes them through that journey in such a way that they know his presence and his goodness along the road ahead. And there have been many others in my life that I've seen processing a new relationship that God has provided for them after a journey of divorce. Once I was sitting with a couple in a premarital context with two people who had come from divorced relationships. And I was sitting with them, we'd navigated a lot of the baggage of the past so that they would feel free to not continue to navigate the woundedness moving forward. And one of the conversations was, as I was sitting there, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, these two have been through so very much and I am giving them a second chance. I'm giving them a second chance to experience love. I'm giving them a second chance to experience companionship. I'm giving them a second chance to experience marriage more as it was created to be than they have ever known before. I'm asking you to bless them into this second chance. We recognize the goodness and the beauty and the grace of God in the ways that he helps us to navigate through all of our trials and our suffering and the pains and the losses that we have. And the very best thing that we can do is to lay ourselves before him and ask Jesus to do what is right and what is best. Again, this morning I recognize this is a challenging topic for many of us. This is an emotionally charged conversation for so many of us. We recognize that Jesus' very best for me and for you, if he calls us into an experience of marriage, is that we would live in a marriage that would be life-giving and flourishing all of the way through, all of the way through to death or the return of Christ. He's very clear this is what he wants in that context. And today, if you are married and you are struggling, if you recognize that there are sins in your soul or in the context of your relationship and how you interact with each other that are wounding you, I would encourage you to continue to process those things. Don't give up. And if you'd like to talk to someone, we have some really great people here at the church who would love to journey with you. You don't need to navigate through the struggles and the hardships of these conversations on your own. There is no marriage that is perfect. And every one of us needs help somewhere along the journey to continue to flourish and thrive and be all that Jesus intends for us to be. 
And today, if you're in the process of divorce or you are divorced, I would encourage you again to bring all of the fullness of the pain that you have inflicted and that you have been through into the presence of Jesus and to ask him to bring healing, to allow him to renew and to refresh and to restore your soul. Again, we have a divorce care that takes place on Wednesday evenings. It's a really healthy environment just to talk through and to navigate and process this journey with other people who understand what this looks like and what this feels like for you. And we hope that you will know that you always have a home with us. And today, if you are caught in the context of an abusive relationship, you don't ever need to suffer in silence. Again, if you choose to trust us with the journey that you're on, we would love to walk with you, to be a place of safety for you, and to help you to navigate the journey forward, whatever that may look like. And I want to challenge us as a community to be gracious and compassionate with each other as we navigate these conversations, because we never know what's going on behind closed doors. Sometimes a marriage may look perfect and like everything is right from the outside, but the reality of that marriage may be very broken or utterly terrifying for one partner. We want to process this reality in a way where we can welcome one another and to celebrate the successes, to mourn the losses, and to support and to encourage one another as we navigate all of the hardship of what life may present to us. Because we're a family. Because we care about each other. And again, I recognize this morning there are unique challenges to a message like this. But Jesus would invite us, if we are in the process of a marriage, to continue to pursue his very best and his fullness. And where there is deep brokenness or where we've experienced divorce, to, wel to welcome him in to bring healing into all of those places. So let's just pray together and offer these things to him. Our loving Father, we come to you. And Lord, we don't always know what to do with the deep brokenness that we feel and that we experience. We're not always sure how to navigate our losses. We recognize that in each one of our souls, there are parts of us that are so profoundly wounded that our wounding rubs off on the people closest to us, those that we love most. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to pour your love and your life and your freedom and your healing into our souls. Would you empower us to reflect you faithfully and well in the ways that we love one another? Would you help us not to be too proud to ask for help where we need it? Would you give us courage to challenge what is inappropriate where we need to? Would you help us to find redemption and healing in the places where we have been wounded and broken? And Father, we thank you for the immensity of your love, for the goodness of your grace. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you meet with us in each of these things, and we ask that you administer your unique comfort and strength and empowering and perseverance and fullness in every way for all that we need in these conversations. Enable us to be a faithful reflection of you as we process this together. In Jesus' name, amen.